this whole phrase content is king has really damaged, I think, online content and that people are just pumping out anything just to make noise. But actually, I mean, I'd rather see one really well thought out article that was super interesting than 50. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. How can you use content marketing to promote your business, to promote your book, or to promote your website? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. And that's the topic of this week's episode. Now, I set up the Become a Writer Today site back in 2015. And since then, I've written or published well over 500 articles on the site. But at the moment, there are only about 300 articles live. And the reason for that is I've spent the past few months going through all of the old articles that I've written over the years. And I've either deleted articles that weren't attracting traffic or I've merged articles that covered the same topic. Or if I found an article that was performing particularly well in Google Analytics, I've expanded on content in that article, added more information like FAQs, you know, up-to-date stats, more relevant links, and so on. And one thing I've been struck by while doing this exercise is that some articles I wrote four and five years ago are still attracting organic website traffic to become a writer today. So in other words, a piece of content that I worked on, you know, an article that explained a particular writing topic is still ranking in Google and people are visiting the site. And if they enjoy the article or if they find it helpful, they're either joining the Become a Writer Today email list or they're sharing the article, or maybe they'll even turn into a listener of this podcast, or perhaps they might even buy one of my courses or one of my books. Of course, not everyone does this and not all of the articles perform, which is why I also delete or remove articles that haven't worked over time. But the other thing I was struck by is how it didn't cost me much to create any of this content over the past few years. Unlike Facebook ads or Google ads, all I had to do was invest time. And you know, for the first year or two, it did take a lot of time to create these articles. I think I spent two hours every morning writing articles for the site, publishing them, adding images, sorting out the internal links, and so on. More recently, I've since decided to start earning more money, I've started working with guests and freelance writers who are helping me bring different voices to the site and creating different types of content from different points of view. If you're interested in creating content to grow your business or to promote your book, you don't have to rely on blogging and publishing articles, although that's obviously a format that lends itself to any writer. You can use podcasting, which is a fantastic way of engaging with readers because Somebody will listen to a podcast far longer than it'll spend reading an article. Or you can use YouTube, which is the number two search platform in the world. And one of my interests, which I've talked about in the show before, is long distance running. And one of the ways I'm managing stress during the lockdown is by getting more into long distance running. So I'm currently trying to run about 60 kilometers a week. And that's more than I've run in the past, although it's not a huge amount compared to some other runners I know. But the way I'm getting advice about this is from somebody else's efforts of content marketing. So I follow a popular YouTuber who records running advice videos. You know, he reviews gear, he reviews shoes, uh, he talks about how to increase your mileage, and he provides training plans in short 10-minute videos each day. And watching these videos, you know, I find them either informative, enjoyable, or entertaining. And any of those things are the hallmark of great content. It should be informative, enjoyable, or entertaining in some way. And you know, if it's not, if it's just some random article or video about what you did or some award that you won, readers or listeners probably aren't going to be able to do much with it and they'll probably stop paying attention. The other takeaway from following this YouTuber is he talks about his recording process or his content creation process. And he says he spends up to six hours a day creating his YouTube videos. That includes editing, coming up with the ideas for the videos, recording them, 
and publishing them and promoting them. And that's quite a lot of time. So it actually put me off, you know, doubling down on YouTube as a channel when I heard that. But then I thought about it and I realized that I probably spent a similar amount of time on content marketing over the past few years, albeit a little bit more spread out. And, you know, he's seen results on his channel from all the hard work he's invested into content marketing. He's a full time YouTuber who specializes in running. And I've seen results on my site. You know, it's helped me increase book sales and it's helped me increase course sales and find more readers through content marketing as well. So basically what I'm getting at is if, you know, you have a book that you want to promote, particularly if it's nonfiction, if you have a course that you want to sell, if you want to start offering coaching, or if you just want to build a name for yourself as a writer, content marketing is a fantastic way to do it. And that's actually the topic of this week's podcast interview as well. So I recently interviewed Daniel Cooper, who has a new book coming out. It's called Upgrade, and the book is out in June. And in the book, Daniel talks about a number of different topics, including how you can create your own content machine and what should be inside of this content machine. He talks about the types of content that you can use today. He talks about what's working in SEO, and he talks about how he advises his clients and the customers that he works with to use content to grow their businesses or to promote their book. I also asked Daniel about his book writing process and how he manages you know, such a business mindset with the creative process. I started off, of course, by asking Daniel about why he wrote Upgrade the Book in the first place, and if you could give a little bit of context to what he sees the content machine as today. But before we get over to this week's podcast episode, I do have an ask. If you enjoy the show, please could you leave a short review on the iTunes store or wherever you're listening, because more reviews, more ratings, more stars will help more people find the show, and it will also, you know, help me, you know, get more listeners, and I'd be, you know, extremely grateful if you would do that. Now, with that said, let's go over to this week's interview with Daniel. Sure, absolutely. So we work with a lot of different companies and we solve general issues that they have in treading water, basically being too busy to actually do what they want to do. So we automate stuff is the overall thing. And one of the things we talk to them about when they are digitizing their business is putting content out there. Most people listening to this show will already be writers or aspiring writers or I suppose if you write anything creative, you're a, you're a writer automatically, right? There's no badge. <laughs> but yeah. the thing that the thing that I I really push to our clients, and this book really is meant to be a gift to all businesses or or anyone thinking about starting a business, because we can't work with everyone. That's impossible, and you might as well just give everyone all the information because you know it's going to come anyway. You're going to competitors anyway. But the idea behind that chapter of the book, when we're talking about a content machine, is that. People don't quite understand that unless you put content out there, one or two things are going to happen. One, you're going to have to pay to gain, I suppose, eyeballs and whatever you're doing or gain attention. And that's what we're all vying for, right, is attention. Whether or not that's for an essay we've written, a short story or a book or whatever it might be, or or a business. So if you don't put anything out there, you're not going to get any attention. Or you're going to have to pay someone like Facebook or Google or Twitter or LinkedIn to use one of their advertising platforms to bring in traffic to get eyeballs and attention on your stuff. And that can be really expensive. So what we try and show people is that you should be producing content and it should be really creative. And it, it doesn't matter if you have got the most interesting thing to tell the world or the most boring, depending on how you communicate, can actually flip those two things on their head, right? So you could have yeah. the most fascinating thing that you do and you can tell it in the most boring way or you could have the most boring business and tell it in the most fascinating way. So that's really what we're trying to focus on there. So you don't just see content as blog posts and articles. It could be other topics or formats as well. 
Yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, the creative process is there whichever way you think about it. And, and I think you have to go with certain amount of writing whichever way you go. So if you we're talking about video, you really need to loosely script that. I mean, unless you're super talented and you can just go, you know, off the cuff. We're not all Little Wayne and can't just make a rap song up at the top of our heads and then have us at number one. This is <laughs> unlikely, right? So we have to sometimes script some things. Yeah. Now, I think that there's too much low effort content out there. I really have a difficult time. It's really difficult sometimes when we go and see a client and they say, oh, we've got this business where it's an amazing soliciting firm. We say, great, wonderful. Your legal work looks excellent. Um, and we do this amazing blog and we look at the blog and we say, oh, we see you won the, <laughs> we saw you won the award for the best Devonshire legal firm. Wonderful. And we see you won your five yeah. side football team last week and you're entering the rugby competition amongst all of the solicitors in the South West. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. But no one cares. Right. And then that's, that's yeah. the thing. Right. And I think people are, they're not very creative in that. They're not really bothered about hiring anyone creative for that. They just want to put, they think that, this whole phrase content is king has really damaged, I think, online content and that people are just pumping out anything just to make noise. But actually, I mean, I'd rather see one really well thought out article that was super interesting than 50. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the point of it, right? And I think that's why we're starting to see movements now for journalists and writers head towards newsletters again. It's kind of gone full circle, right? Yeah, yeah, no, newsletters are more popular. Like, I, I have a newsletter on Substack and I've talked to some other writers who, who use Medium or Substack or Ghost for their newsletters. But yeah, I liked what you said there about the example of the law firm. Because when I was on a content marketing team, it felt like people who weren't really working in the area just thought that they could say whatever they want. Whereas, in fact, good content is actually about a problem the reader is having or yeah. something they want to learn more about. It's not necessarily about an award that your business won or something exciting you did at the weekend. Yeah. So if somebody has like a, an online business, let's say, and they've decided to set up a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel to yeah. promote it with content marketing because they can't afford advertising, how would you help them define their content strategy? Sure. So you need to do some initial research. And there are a number of tools out there that can help you with that research for what people are searching for. There are a few SEO tools you can look at. So to yeah. give you the volumes of people are searching through Google and other search engines each month. What you want to really do is you want to find low-hanging fruit. So don't try and write with the aim of, I want to get ranked or in Google or people on my page just about car sales. Let's, yeah. let's maybe bring it down a few notches and let's say we want to write content just about the best family cars that you could possibly buy in 2021. That's a bit more realistic right because there's less people to search for but what you then need to do is you then need to google it and read so many articles about it you've almost had enough for the day and then you need to make it your aim to make it 10 times better than what anyone else has written so that means it needs to be 10 times engaging which is a really important point and it does also need to be that it's giving a lot of value back to the reader so you need to really consider what all of the things that the, the reader would also look to Google to gain information on and then add those to the article. You should really be able to have a reader come to the page, have their answer almost instantly answered, and then answer any other side questions they've got. Yeah. Because then whatever your aim is with your content, you're likely to be able to achieve it at that point. There's a reason why we all write content, right? Yeah, so I use tools like Ahrefs yep. to research keywords. Uh, so I, that can be quite expensive for people starting out, I guess. I think it's $99. I think they have a free tier. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're, they've introduced a free tier, actually. Yeah, so I'd recommend checking out Ahrefs for anybody who's, who's new to keyword research. And then they also use kind of more advanced tools like ClearScope and MarketViews, which, which are a bit pricey. But they'll tell you what to put in to the articles, and then you just have to almost fill in the blanks, so to speak. Yeah, those are, those are really smart tools, really smart yeah. tools. There's another competitor now called Dashword as well, which is much cheaper. Yeah, haven't heard of that. If anyone listening hasn't heard of those types of tools, what they really do is they go to Google and they, and they look at the keyword you're looking for or you're trying to appear yeah. for, and they look at the top 10 results and they work out what words are required or sentences or phrases to appear at the top. You want to ob- be, be use that kind of sparingly and creatively. Don't just spam in a load of words. It doesn't make any more sense. That's not really the idea, right? Because we're trying to build content that people engage with and they really love and they really want to share. And that's a really important point. So I, I think that kind of bringing it back to your original question, which was what are we saying when we're talking about you know, a, a content machine, is that you should be thinking about your company as a mini version of the Huffington Post, whatever it is. Sure, there might only be two or three of you who are doing content creation, but really, really focus on it because it can be massive rewards over time. And the great thing that I love about content is it stacks. Yep. It's not short term, right? And it, yeah, your first few pieces, they're going to take a while to kick in. But after time, boy, you're flying. Yeah, I find like articles I published years ago still get traffic. Sometimes mm. I go in and make a little update or change the headline or rework some of the keywords, but yeah, they, they still perform really well. So you talked there about creativity a few minutes ago. Mm. Do you think like a lot of the creativity has been taken out of online articles because Google is asked after such a specific template for, for like how to posts and guides to topics? Like there's almost a format you have to follow these days if you want it to rank. Sure. And, and I think that's the reason why we're starting to see services like Substack and people posting on Medium really come back around, right? It almost come full circle because we've come from a place where you would write something and there was, sure, there was a bar to the competition you had to meet, right? To really rank in Google. But now because everyone's doing it, suddenly you get drowned out in the noise and you get drowned out in all this horrible, horrible content. It's hard to get your head above water. And also, let's not forget that really what we're doing is we are relying on global corporations that at any point can just change their minds. For instance... Facebook decided two days ago that they would just turn off all the news publishers in Australia because Australia is saying you need to pay all of the news providers for every link someone clicks. Facebook said no, so they turned it off. Allowing Facebook or Google, whoever it is, to control your creativity and the people who get to see your stuff is very dangerous, I personally think. That's why I'm a really big fan of things like Substack and email marketing now. And of course, writing a book because you're able to control your audience a lot more, right? Because it's your small walled garden, not Mark Zuckerberg's or someone else who can just decide, actually, turn you off. Yeah, I'm in a group with uh, some writers who publish a lot of content on Medium, but like some of the more successful ones direct their Medium readers onto their email list, which lives off, off Medium. And then when the Medium algorithm changes, you know they're still able to have a relationship with their readers and offer courses or coaching or just even share their articles even if they're not ranking highly on on Medium. So yeah, I definitely agree it's important to own the relationship. Are there any particular formats that you recommend to clients these days? Because it is quite hard to, if you're drowning in the noise for a blog to take hold, like it'll take a year or two, unless you have some advanced SEO or link building strategy. So what for other formats do you recommend to your clients? Uh, primarily, we stick to just either eBooks, short eBooks or white papers. Yeah, We stick to email marketing. And we do actually still stick to blogs, but we look okay. at long format 
deep thinking stuff, no short form. And how do you get your clients to promote their work or attract readers to their work? What do you recommend they do? Well, our main focus actually is SEO and, and ranking things that way. I mean, we know that Google is highly focused on links to your site. Yeah. They're obviously moving away from that more and more. They're going to struggle to do it completely. But I do yeah. honestly believe that good content does rise to the top. And it only takes a few links for Google to pick up on that. So doing things that way is very, very nice. And we'll actually try and push a bit of digital PR if we can with people. Yeah. That is a very, really nice way of doing things. You know, a good example is, you know, being on this podcast is a great example of that, right? Spreading the message in a way that we can both control. Did you have a background in SEO before you set up your agency? No, I didn't actually. I mean, no. I had a couple of businesses before. We'd worked really hard on SEO. And yeah. Google, 2008, 2009, they, they released an algorithm. They had two in a row, like Penguin and Panda. And uh, they basically pulled our pants down <laughs> really badly. <laughs> and uh, we got a slap yeah. on the wrist, wrist yeah, for that yeah. because um, we were building links in what was a successful way, but what yeah. Google decided later on was perhaps manipulative. And, and that ended up really... The business suffered because of it. It took us a while to to climb out of that hole. So I've been doing SEO for yeah a number of years and have certainly learned a number of lessons with it. And I think that from my own perspective now, if you asked me how would you build a website that had you know potential to to get a lot of traffic, it comes down to great content that you spend a long time laboring over and really care about, right? And, and pouring everything you've got into it. And then just doing really clean, normal company stuff like digital PR. Get, yeah. like, literally get a PR person to work with. Find a PR agent who can get you into you know, articles or in the news and things like that. Because it, it will just attract attention and you will just rise to the top like that. And don't worry about the SEO, in my opinion, beyond just making sure you've got the basics down. You've got a title on there. You've got yeah. nice content. Your images aren't too big and fat. Things like that really will, will help. And, and I think naturally it will just come. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So do you spend much time on link building for clients anymore or have you moved on from that? No, the only link building that we will do for either clients or ourselves is, is we will either do, um, as I said, PR and do things that way yeah. to gain links or we will use services like Harrow, um, help yeah. a reporter out, which are fantastic for gaining really, really good press mentions, which often come with 90% of the time come with a link. And it's a really natural way of building links. The key to it is to avoid getting in trouble, I believe, mm. with Google and just building up slowly over time. Don't buy links. Recipe for disaster. Yeah, they've definitely changed the way they, they approach how content ranks over the past few years. I, I know I worked with an SEO team a few years ago and we used to put articles on uh, like content farms, I think they were called back then. But mm. Since then, that kind of stuff's been penalized by Google. Sure. Those are all the good old days. <laughs> yeah, it's probably e easier back then. What about other, do you look at other channels like podcasting or YouTube? As far as podcasting is concerned, it's not an area that we've headed into yet ourselves personally and, and, and really push clients into, uh, although we certainly yeah. like to. With YouTube, we do push a few clients into that. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a big area that we think is clients should really consider. At the end of the day, YouTube's the second biggest search engine there is. Yeah. Uh, and you, you're crazy not to pick up on that. I mean, how many times have we all needed to learn something or do something. So we always just go onto YouTube. It's almost a weekly occurrence that I want to cook something new straight to YouTube. Yeah, I'm always looking it up when I have to fix some random thing in the house, like, like a dishwasher door. And I can't follow the instructions. There's normally some YouTuber who's broken it down for me. <laughs> uh, but it seems like the rules are different on YouTube. You have to publish, or at least the top YouTubers, they're publishing every day to kind of feed the YouTube algorithm. Mm. 
Yeah. So it seems like it's more work. Yeah, I think there is a lot of work in it. But I think whichever way you, in whichever medium or channel you publish content, it does involve a lot of work. Absolutely. Mm. You know, if, if you'd have said to me nine months ago, oh, you're thinking about writing a book? I'd say, yeah. How hard can it be? Turns out it's really hard. And I think that's the same with anything. And I think as a creative, you become a bit obsessed with perfection and you want to go back over everything constantly. I mean, how many times do we, we write books or newsletters or blog posts and then we write it once, then we go back over it, throw away half, rewrite it, continuously edit it. And in the end, you think, I've just got to publish this because I'm just going to stay here forever. Yeah, it's finding a balance between rewriting until it's good enough to publish versus actually publishing it so you can get feedback about your work. Like I spent a lot of time working on long form articles and then I publish it and I get some comments or emails and I have to change it. But I, I wouldn't get that feedback if I didn't hit publish. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's quite a good point. I think that I've always struggled with... So like, I'm not on social media. I'm on Reddit, which is yeah. just a place where everyone's anonymous and they say whatever they want, right? Which is fine. But I'm on Twitter, but I don't really say much. I'm not on Facebook. Yeah. I'm not on Instagram. I'm just not very good at social media, personally, because I don't like to... I don't know if I'd like to say stuff to put it out in case someone criticizes. I'm just not really sure what to say. What do I shout into this empty room? And I think part of me is is the same with either writing a book or writing an article that I have to very much put a hard stop in a deadline. Otherwise, I will just keep going. And then I think, oh, I'll just leave that bit and come back to it and never actually publish it. So there's a real danger that I think being a creative person, you have to be really careful with yourself that you don't do it. Yeah, actually, there's, there's one chapter in your book, and I'm, I'm curious how you approach this for creative work, or, or do you approach it at all for creative work? It's, it's, you have a chapter about OKRs, which, mm-hmm. is, which uh, stands for um, Objectives and Key Results. So I had to do a quick yeah. Google search there. Yeah, yeah. So, so do you use, uh, I, I know businesses use OKRs like for setting targets around sales and hiring and whatever business goals they have for the quarter, but do you use OKRs for, for creative work, or would you advise clients use it for any content that they create? Um, so the good thing about OKRs is, is that you're really striving for something big. And if you're hitting your OKRs on the nose, you're not really there, right? So I think you've got to set something really, really big and audacious as the goal to do it, right? And then you have to break it down into the key results. So let's, let's look at a book, for example, right? So our objective is to be, let's say you and I start writing a book together. And our objective is that we want to be the number one book in self-help for writers on Amazon. Yeah, six months in a row. Well, we know what the key results of that are, and we can boil those down. Uh, and those are actual measurable results. Those those actual results, those key results. So then we give ourselves a time frame to do it in, and then we work our socks off to try and actually get it. Now, if you reach that, you probably weren't aiming high enough. Uh, and if you don't, that's okay because you still tried. When it comes to writing the book for me personally, I have to set deadlines for each yeah. chapter and each section. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. There's a rule called Parkinson's Law. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's one of my favorites. Work expands to fill all the hours available. Yeah, right? To us. You remember when yeah. you're at university and they say, oh, you've got the dissertation to write. Yeah. No one writes. No one starts the next day. No one. They go, oh, I'll leave it a bit. And then everyone knows that when it comes to a couple of months before, everyone starts getting a bit sweaty. And suddenly, the work starts at a much shorter period of time and magically you get it done. But this is the great thing about Parkinson's law. No matter the time you give someone to do something, as long as it's realistic, don't get me wrong, you will magically find the time to do it. That's what you need to be careful of with yourself and with others, in my experience. Yeah, so I find with, with books, I give myself a deadline 
and I try and get a you know first draft to an editor by a particular date. That works quite well. Sometimes I'll track the word count, try and hit a cer- certain word count for the week, or I'll try and um, finish the cer- editing a certain amount of chapters per week. Any of yeah. those work quite well. Um, yeah. What about content? Do you use like just like traffic stats for OKRs, or do you use some other metric? Uh, you're talking about for our own personal OKRs in the in the company about how we kind of operate then. Uh, but no, the the contents that you are advising clients to create, or perhaps content that you created, like a series of articles. Do you have OKRs for those? Sure. Yeah. So we we really work on um, KPIs and OKRs for those. Absolutely. So you've got to look at incoming traffic, but really what we're looking yeah. at is engagement rate. That's what really interests me. Engagement rate. I'd rather yeah. see a hundred really engaged people than a hundred thousand people who bounce within a second. So yeah. when we're looking at that, we're using tools like Hotjar. To understand yeah. the engagement on that, so we're using heat mapping to really get an idea of the percentage of people who are scrolling at least halfway down the article before they exit. And it's a really, really important device to really go with when you're measuring how effective your content is, because often you can start to you can start to get an idea of the type of style that you should be writing in for that niche. Yep. You can get any idea of really how that should be laid out on the page as well for that niche, which is really, really important. There are many ways of, of breaking that up and writing so that you, you really engage the readers uh, in a much better way, in my opinion. So yes, uh, heat mapping is very, very good for bounce rates and engagement, which is key. Obviously, social shares is a really, really good indicator and general traffic incoming. Okay, okay. And do you find you have to wear two different hats, one for creating and one for analyzing, or do you just do it all at once? Yeah, I mean, that, that spans across my job as a whole, actually, I think, because there's a we make software at the end of the day and apps and things like that to automate stuff. And a lot of that is a really creative process uh, as well as writing. So I have to block out my day um, and be quite tough on myself on when that's going to happen. So from seven till nine is a real creative point for me. Uh, and then from five until six is my other creative slot. In between that yeah. will be all of the normal business and analytical stuff. The rest of it, those three hours is, is really my important point. So whether or not that's writing content or whether or not I'm designing a, a like a UI layout for a new piece of software or trying to yeah. think creatively around a problem, it's, it's those blocks of time. You've got to do it that way, I think, actually, because you'll be constantly interrupted otherwise. Yeah, any interruptions when you're doing anything creative, you know, just detrimental. It's very hard to get back. Yes, deep work. And I think that's another way to really look at it is, is to say to yourself, when can I do deep work and not be interrupted? And when can I do the light stuff? I mean, light stuff yeah. is, you know, send an invoice or I need to email that person. You know, deep work is when if you get distracted by someone or interrupted, it takes you massively off course and it takes you a while to get back to it, which is a real problem. I've been known myself personally when we're really at crunch points, I'll start work at 4 a.m. but I'll finish at 2 in the afternoon just because I know between 4 a.m. and 9 9 a.m. I'm not going to get disturbed by anyone. Yeah, I've done the same. Yeah, I mean, there's no emails or phone calls at 4 a.m. Or at least if there is an email, you don't have to answer it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And I think that's a really nice way of doing it. It's not for everyone, and I understand that. But if you haven't ever tried that, if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, that sounds awful, honestly, try it. Try getting up next week at 4.30 in the morning just for one day and say, I'm just going to sit there, I'm going to have a really nice, strong coffee, and I'm just going to write for four hours until my wife or husband or the kids or my girlfriend or my boyfriend wake up, you'll be amazed at how much you get achieved and you'll feel so good and you'll feel so set up for the day. Sure, you'll be tired when it comes to 4 p.m., but you would have really, really achieved something, I believe. Yeah, if you do that for a while as well, it's really key to writing a book. Did did it take you long to write up, upgrade your book? 
yeah, it's taken a bit of an age actually. Because the funny thing is, is you you think you have the whole thing worked out when you start, and inevitably you end up pulling it all apart, ripping it back together again from its way. So it's taken it's taken a really good solid part of my life, I think, so far. Nine months it's taken to do it. I mean, I'm not working on it every hour every day. I wish I could, but it, yeah, it's, it's taken quite an effort there to really pull that together. Yeah. Yeah, so we're recording this middle of February, and you, I think your book is out June, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. going through edit right now, and then obviously we then have to prepare it to, for Amazon's uh, buy-to-print service that they have. So we have to yeah. get it all set up that way. Uh, and then I've got to then edit it up for, oh my goodness, Kindle. That was good. Yeah. Forgot the word. <clears throat> and get it all set up there. And then in a nice PDF format for anyone who wants it on PDF. So it's quite a process of all. Yeah, Vellum is a good tool that can help with some of that. I don't, I don't know if you use that. It's, it's Mac only, but it's a good tool for self-publishing. Mm. If, that's, if that's what you're doing. Yeah, that is what I'm doing, yeah. I mean, it'd be great to get it with a publisher. Uh, yeah. I suppose I suppose the funny thing is it's just <laughs> is there time? Should we just write the book, get it out there, you know, get it into people's hands, or, or go through the, the ups and downs of, of going to publishers with it? Maybe it will, maybe it won't, who knows? But for me, the reason why I'm writing the book is really to spread the word about what we do. And and if it helps someone who reads it, you know, improve their business, amazing, right? Brilliant. Mm. And if we make the money back just on it that we that you know we've had to invest into it with all of my time. They're brilliant. If not, that's okay. It was a good, yeah. you know, a good experience nonetheless. Yeah, but writing a book is enjoyable, even though it is hard work. Do you have a plan for getting into readers' hands? Or are you just going to wait till you get the edits done first? Well, we are a digital company, so I, our efforts yeah. will be primarily digital. So it will be um, it will be a mixture of PR and it will be a mixture of uh, digital paid marketing to get into people's hands. Oh, very good. Very good. So where can people find out more information about Upgrade the Book? Uh, you can go to upgradethebook.com. Uh, you can download the intro and first chapter for free from there. Uh, and it will be available on Amazon on the 1st of June in both Kindle, now I've remembered the word, and print format. Very good. Yeah, I'm looking at Upgrade the Book now. And I, when we were chatting just before the, the, the interview, I, I was just saying that it's a great book sales page. So I encourage people to, to check it out to see what way you can position a book to readers or pre-launch a book. And actually, just before you go, you're promoting your book on Product Hunt. That's an unusual strategy for authors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, wh- why not, right? It's a, it's yeah. Product Hunt is really a, a tech-focused place. So I think that yeah. potentially it is... Uh, unique in that aspect, right? That it's a, a tech-focused book, which is which is certainly helpful, right? To get up there. Potentially, if I was writing a book about horses, it may not be as applicable. Uh, but did you get much tech- engagement on Product Hunt? I don't use it that much personally, but yeah, we got we got a, we got a fair amount, and I and I think that was that was all right. I mean, it's not gonna not gonna change the world our engagement on Product Hunt, but it's good to see yeah. you know a fair few people you know like it, download it, check it out, and give you some feedback. Right? It's good for early feedback, and that's what I love about it. Uh, and Reddit's yeah. also a good place for that. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's definitely different to some of the other marketing strategies that authors are using these days. But yeah, it's very nice to talk to you today, Daniel, and, and best of luck with the book launch. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It was a real pleasure, and I look forward to listening to more of the shows. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. 
More reviews, more ratings and more shares will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And did you know for just a couple of dollars a month, you could become a Patreon for the show? Visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today or look for the support button in the show notes. Your support will help me record, produce and publish more episodes each month. And if you become a Patreon, I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software and on my writing courses. Thank you.